Welcome to Pardon the Confusion. I'm Paul Arnold. He's Ernest Watts. We're back again for a special Father's Day edition. Well, it's not quite Father's Day, but for us, every day is Father's Day, right, Ernest? Yes. You have a child of each gender. I have two boys. I have four grandsons. How many are you up to now? I think you got me I got beat three. There, right? No, no, I got three granddaughters. Yep. Wait, wait for that grandson. Well, I'm spoiling grandson. Hey, granddaughters are awesome. They really are. We're having lots of fun with them. Yeah, grandboys, you know, boys, you can help. There's a conspiratorial nature between grandfathers and grandsons. <laughs> you can you can do things and blame it on each other or whatever. The kid's too small to be blamed. The grandfather's too old. Oh, he's old. Let him do that. So it's it's a conspiracy that you're willing to endorse and encourage. Oh yes, oh yes. Uh, we went to eat dinner. I may have told this last week. The ice cream, you did. Ice cream story. Oh, I did. Okay, thank you. You're keeping me straight. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's such a good story. Listen to last week's podcast if you missed it. One of the oh, best yes. stories you've ever heard in your life. Yes, one of the best. It's like the movie reviews I'm going to give you at the end. Some of the best movie reviews you'll ever hear. Okay. Well, last week I dumped all over uh, the new, latest Star Wars, Obi-Wan Kenobi's effort and um but this we're going to start with sports as we usually do and should do the national basketball association not only has a new trophy this year um but they're hoping to have even better ratings than last year have you even gotten a clue how the ratings are going so far this year uh not as good as three or four years ago but higher than last year or last year was played in july and I think, you know, Boston brings a certain nature of fans in that respect. Uh, and I think Golden State has, I think both, both Golden State and, and you got East Coast, West Coast, you have legacy teams. I think, you know, if it gets six or seven, that's when people's casual fans will start to come in in that respect. Right. And they just had a stat. I was watching ESPN's pregame coverage tonight. Actually, as recorded, they're going to do game number six. They said Jason Tatum has the most turnovers of any starting player in the NBA Finals at this point. He's a turnover machine. Uh, is that Golden State's defense, or is Tatum just that sloppy? That's Boston's problem. They don't have a true point guard. Uh, they've had a high number of uh, turnovers all year long. Marcus Smart is not a true point guard. He's a two guard. Uh, and unfortunately, he gets in these situations where he thinks he can shoot the ball. He hits <laughs> one three. That's the most dangerous thing in the world because he's throwing them up. Jalen Brown cannot dribble. I mean, if he gets in the lane, he turns over the ball nine times out of ten. Robert Williams still has a severe knee injury in that respect. But could they win two games and win the title? Yeah, but they're a team that's tired. It's beat. Horford's starting to look his age, but they don't have a, a point guard per se. I Seems mean, it, to me, they got Kimba Walker for that purpose a couple years ago. Well, they had Dennis Schroeder at the beginning of the year, but and signed him to a, a minimum contract, but traded him in the middle of the year to get uh, a White, Derek White, who was with the Spurs. So who's done a good job at, at the at the Small forward position. I think he's shooting better three-pointers than, than people kind of felt he would. But they don't have a real point guard. They don't, you know, they have a backup, but, but he defensively gives up too much. 
I mean, it's Jalen Brown and, and Tatum are borderline to the almost superstars, but defensively they're both seeds. I mean, they just can't stop anybody. So Horford and Williams and Marcus Smart pretty much have to apply the defense. And and then they blew a chance in, in game five because if Steph's not going to make a three-pointer, Steph's going to go two for nine for the field, that should have been a game they won. But again, the turnovers, and they don't have a real point guard. Tatum brings the ball up, smart sometimes, but but it's it's the construction of the team, and it's it's kind of a shame because if you went talent-wise from from one to fifteen, they have more talent than the Celtics. I mean, the the Warriors. It's just the Warriors have a, a point guard, two of them actually, uh, one from Michigan. I thought I'd throw you in, and and Curry plays point guard yeah, also. Well, every year for March Madness, we always say the team with the best point guard or guard play will win it. But in the NBA, what is the most important position? You're saying for the Celtics right now, if they would have better point guard, they'd probably win this right now. But if you oh, yeah. were said at the beginning of the year, the most important position in NBA, what would you say it is? You have to have a score. I don't care if he's a two or a three or a four. It's not going to be a center because that's not the way games play anymore. You've got to have a position player that has his shot that he will make 60 to 65% of the time. You know, with, with LeBron, it's that, that little spin and drive. Uh, with Embiid, it's that little corner of the lane jump shot. Tatum is either a three or a layup, and he's falling into that Kobe trap. For some reason, and it's, it's been kind of ghoulish to an extent, he he's been honoring Kobe. Where's Kobe's practice uh, jersey during practice? He has Kobe on the shoes, and kind of like Kobe, he's taking that wasted mid-range jumper and missing it all the time. Uh, I mean, he's just he. The talent is there. He's just not applying himself well. Mm. And if you had a point guard who got the ball to him, either at the rim or at the three-point line, he would be much more efficient. If you had a point guard to give Jalen Brown the shot where he can make the mid-range jumper or he can or he can score the basket, he just can't dribble, then right. they'd be a better team. All right, Mr. Michael Jordan expert, name four of the point guards that played with Michael Jordan during this heyday, and don't say B.J. Armstrong. I can't say B.J. Armstrong? No, no. Uh, well, of course, one sitting over there on the bench – uh, with uh, coaching Golden State, and that's uh, that's Steve Kerr. Uh, I can't say Craig Hodges. Craig Hodges was more of a two, wasn't he? Uh, of course, the Harper, and uh, 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 oh my, uh, Jim Paxton. Paxton, I gave so, you four. Yeah. Well, so the thing is, Michael Jordan could handle the ball guard. that well. He he didn't need a point guard to, to set him up, and he's so rare that he could you know do all facets of the game pretty much and be a great defensive player. Think how much energy Michael Jordan put out every single game oh, yeah. to play that well. And even the guys you mentioned as point guards were really shooting guards. You know, Michael Jordan dribble, penetrate dishes to Steve Curry, he shoots, he wins the game. I don't see them as like a dominant point guard. You know who the best point guard he played with? Who? Scotty Scotty Pippen. <laughs> it was almost position, positionless basketball, which is why I say triangle you know, baby. Because, 
Well, you know, with, with Michael Jordan, it was that fallaway jumper when he came back from baseball. And you just knew he'd make that shot. It's like Kareem's hook shot. And you got to have a guy that it's tied at the end of the game or you're down two points, you're trying to make a comeback, that you can get the ball that you know he's going to score. Curry. Yeah. And that's that's Curry. It had to be Thompson, and it had to be – boy, Wiggins has made himself some money. Now, listen, I bashed this guy. You know, he, he was traded for, for Kevin Love. And kind of, you know, you kind of wonder what the problem was in Minnesota. And it may have been Carl Anthony Towns. We're starting to figure that out. But he has stepped forward. I, if if the Warriors win game six, and I know those who are listening will know this before we will, I would say Wiggins has been the MVP. I mean, you get what you expect out of Curry. But Wiggins rebounding, getting 18 and 19 rebounds a game, Scoring efficiently and and defending uh, both Brown and Tatum and doing a pretty good job on both of them. Yeah, it took the Warriors a while to reset that team, but they got the culture that does. I mean, it used to be the Spurs were that way. It didn't matter what year it was; they put together the right combination of players. And it seems like Golden State has the right combination of players right now. And it's the key is picking up those guys that like a Gary Payton Jr. or or other guys that weren't, they didn't quite have everything they needed in another place. They were asked for too much, but on this team, they're fitting just right, which gets around to Green. Do you think Green is done in a year or two, the way he's declining quickly here? Uh, well, he's, he, you know, it depends. When's Charles Barkley retiring? Because he's going <laughs> to slide right into that position. Uh, you know, and you talk about Gary Payton Jr., 29 years old before he got a, a guaranteed contract. Bounced around in the G League for five years, but said so they brought and it, you know they played a rookie all year long, and I haven't seen him come off the bench. Kamunga, uh, who was the number five pick in the draft, and I'm kind of surprised, but Kerr is kind of stuck to the veterans in that respect. That's who he's playing, and uh, yeah, I mean it's 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 Kerr, it's the general manager. I mean they just they got lucky and and Phoenix going down so early. I think they got lucky because I think Milwaukee would have given them more trouble. I think the Heat would have given them more trouble. But, you know, I'm not going to give them the crown yet because they got to win one game. And Boston certainly could pull that off. But, but like I said, uh, you would think with, with the smart people who've overlooked that team, the last you know, Brad Stevens now and, and Danny Ainge before, they would have gotten a, a competent point guard. I know they had – Kyrie at one time, and <laughs> that, that was a marriage oh, that kind of fell well, apart. Well, and, and they thought this is a Kyrie you know, free zone tonight. We're not gonna... Yeah, okay. Yeah. You know, Kim, Kimba, I could tell. I was not upset. I mean, you think of it now, they got the worst end of that trade because uh, Terry Rozier is a standout point guard, and they could have him, could have had him or kept him right. instead of a broken down. But, but you know, it's, it's you'd like to say, Young teams have to have that, that first year where they get beat up so they can prepare. But I keep hearing the rumor about Mitchell leaving Utah to go to Miami. And if he gets there, the Heat are going to be so much better next year. The Heat are and, already pretty loaded. I was surprised that they lost to the Celtics. and Maybe the Celtics just exerted so much to beat the Heat, they had nothing else left. But anyways... Saw, this- uh, uh, Lowry just disappeared. His t- his 
career left in in front of our eyes. I mean, he looks not, like uh, Harden almost the way he sort of slowed down and thickened up. You know, buck bulked up. Yes, yes. Uh, so it's and, and if this goes game seven, we've got the draft. Uh, next Thursday. And I'm not judging them because I've slowed down and thickened up too. But then again, I'm 60. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, let's go to NHL where, boy, playoff hockey is so exciting and brutal. And, boy, the Avalanche jumped up right away, 2 nothing on the Lightning. And you've picked the Lightning to win it all. And then Lightning came back and tied it. And yet youth was served. And Avalanche scored like 30 seconds in the overtime what was the biggest surprise in that first game to you? I think the comeback by the Lightning, because I felt like everything was going, especially when you had a two-man advantage there in the second period. But And, and you know, Valensky had given up some real, real weak goals, the first two. But Jared Bedar, who is the Avalanche coach, this is a guy that before the playoffs took his, his three best players offensively. McKinnon and, and Maznog and a few others, and he split them up. He, he took his number one line and took those three guys and put them on three different lines, and it's made it a very proficient offensive team. And they're so fast, and they are so quick. I mean, that, that's a speedy team. And, and the Lightning are an older team. Perry, uh, who's with Montreal last year, and Hagel and Colton and Pat Maroon. I mean, they're, they're an older team. If this the longer this goes, the worse it bides for them. But I think it's going to go seven. Yeah, Vic Hedman gave up a bad turnover for that second goal. Stamkos has, has had to change. But then, now let me tell you, there's two players to keep your eye on for you casual fans of the NHL. And one's not playing yet, but I think he will come back eventually. That's Nazim Kadri, who is one of those top three players who was in the top line. But probably the most underrated player in all of hockey is Kale McCarr, who will win Defensive Player of the Year. He'll win that this year. I mean, he he plays like Bobby Orr. He makes spin moves like Allen Iverson. I mean, you have McKinnon, who is 1 or 1A as the best offensive hockey player, you know, in, in hockey. But McCarr is above and beyond the best defensively, offensively. And like I said, he's the best offensive defenseman I've seen since Bobby Orr. He can take it from rank to rank. And Darcy Cooper, who, who was injured the last series, he's not quite the goalie that Vasilinski is, but but he's to the extent that, that he can do enough with the offensive scoring they're doing. And let's give a lot of credit to John Cooper because he's the coach of the Lightning He's going for his third in a row. And the last person that did that, if he wins it, was a guy by the name of Al Arbor with the Islanders in the 80s. So this is no small achievement. Every, all, the, all the, I believe, everyone except one of the coaches since World War II have won three in a row or in the Hall of Fame. But it's exciting. It's fast. It's end-to-end hockey. It's enjoyable. Uh, you know, you might get ready to you know, take a nap in the afternoon because more than a few of these are going to go into overtime. But it's just quick hockey. The Lightning scored two to come back last night in the second period in, in 45 seconds. 
right? It was a, it was really quick, and I think this series is just going to get rougher and rougher. That's the way playoff hockey goes. If one team feels like it's starting to lose a little bit, they start hitting hard, and the older team oh. has a way of hitting harder on the younger team. But then if the younger team can outskate them, all along you've picked the Lightning. Are you still going to stick with them? Boy, I'm I'm tentative. Colorado's let me down so much, uh, but you know, Bedard came in after Patrick Waugh uh, was the coach. Yes, but, you know the famous story about Patrick Waugh when he was pulled from a game. Uh, the coach was berating him, and he said, "I couldn't hear you for the Stanley Cups in my ears." <laughs> uh, he's always been a little arrogant, but just a, a great figure and. This is a team that has faltered in the second round the last three years in a row. And you always looked at the talent. And I picked them every year to get to the Stanley Cup Finals. Finally, it was, you know, it had to be right in that respect. Uh, boy, I mean, Avalanche, you look at them, and, and they're so much faster. I mean, sometimes we, we overanalyze. It's, it's kind of like the Boston uh, Golden State. You look at it, and you see the size of Boston. But you, you seem to forget that Golden State's used to playing with a shortened team. The Lightning are so physical. And, again, Colorado is just fast. We'll go so this back is the to, first time. Yeah, the go first back to, time in the Stanley Cup. So I'm, I'm still sticking with the Lightning. Okay. Going quickly back to Golden State, and this has some application to hockey too. Golden State's offense is so much about spacing and speed that they're moving guys around in quick passes. That reminds me a little bit of the Edmonton Oilers in the back in the old days when Gretzky and Messier were there. They used spacing and speed and long passes to just outdo people. And you see a little bit with hockey, too, and excuse me, with soccer, premier soccer, where certain teams know how to stretch out the field and use spacing to get advantage in other teams. Um, I think Colorado has the speed. I don't know if they use the spacing, as effectively as Tampa Bay. But anyways, there are some overlaps, right? There's some things. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's interesting to bring up soccer because usually a lot of hockey teams, when they warm up before the game, they get in the, they, they get in the hallways and they kick a soccer ball back and forth. And a lot of uh, NBA fans, NBA players, excuse me, are big soccer fans. And, and, and even the, the Spurs style Coach Pop said he based a lot of that on, on what was Barcelona and now Manchester City, the uh, tiki-taki type of passing, the short, quick passes that to, to advance the ball and move it and get from one side to the other. So there is a soccer influence. I mean, if you look at the way the offenses are in the NBA now, which is basically four guys outside the three-point line and one at the free-throw line, it's very reminiscent of how they try to get space in soccer for the ability to score. So th- there is an influence in there. Right. Well, Boy, that's, went, that's something David would have harped on. I know, David. My son's going to love that we talked about soccer again. Um, let's move on to golf because we talked about last week the new uh, Live or 54, if you want to translate the letters, um, the Saudi bet. And since they started, more uh, golfers have jumped ship for that. And the PGA is not handling so well. I'm sort of predicting the PGA are going to fire their commissioner because he's not handling it right now. He's acting not confidently, but sort of, um, you know, it's one thing to hold the line. It's another thing to just tick off millionaires. And 
uh, and sponsors at the same time. Jim Nance interviewed this guy, um, Monahan, I think his name is, the new PJ commissioner, who's only been there like a year or two. And he answered Jim Nance with a question, you know, and it's almost like lecturing Jim Nance. And that's basically lecturing CBS, which is one of your partners in everything you're doing. Yeah, Anyways. remember that's a, and the Masters got one guy fired for talking about bikini wax greens. So yeah. <laughs> golf has always had a kind of uh, a uh, superiority complex. Yeah, and Those so the powers it be. So, so Phil is the most compelling figure right now because, of course, the book came out, huge gambling losses, um, his his unflattering remarks about the. Um, the Saudis, um, his arrogance, but he has always been arrogant. And it was so striking this week in his news conference at the U S open that he looked gaunt. He looked skinny. He wasn't confident. He looked like he couldn't, it was like the last place he ever wanted to be was to be in that press conference. And today in the first round, he shot an eight over par. He just doesn't have it. It's almost torture to watch him. Do you feel sorry at all for Phil? No, he brought this on himself. And and surprisingly, the pressure didn't hurt Dustin Johnson in the first round, did it? No. Who's caught as much flack. What I find interesting is being defender of the PGA, Rory McIlroy, has almost rejuvenated himself. <laughs> I mean, he played so much better last week. He's, he's in the running here in the in the first round, I, I, maybe this is a spark to get him going because everybody feared him jumping in, and that was rumored around. And he's come out and just basically been as anti-lived than than anybody. I mean, it's it's surprising. It's uh, almost like it, when he was on the Ryder Cup team. It's he needs that edge. It almost seems like when he played Ryder Cup against Patrick Reed, they were pumping fists and pointing at each other, and he thrives off this extra. Like, I'm going to get even or have something to prove thing. And him last week saying, well, I won my 20th uh, PGA uh, tournament, and that's or 21st, and that's one more than that guy who's forming the Live Tour, which is Greg Norman. So I'm like, why is he making it personal against Greg Norman? I don't know. Well, Norman doesn't exactly have, shall we say, a, a good, you know, here's a guy that choked the biggest of anybody. At the Masters. Uh, at the Masters. Epic, epic. I mean, the only uh, Jean Val, was it Jean Valvalve or whatever his name oh, is? Oh, you mean the at, the, at the British Open, Open too? Yeah, yeah, he's the only one that I've seen fall apart faster. <laughs> so, I mean, this, he, Norman, a great businessman, uh, probably one of the best at selling himself and his product but I don't think he's very well liked on the tour. He never has struck me as the buddy up. You don't hear the reverence for him. Like you used to hear for Arnold Palmer or, or, or I forgot Tom's last name, Watson. uh, Tom Watson or a lot of guys like that. You did you don't hear him or, or, uh, Ballesteros, someone like that. I mean, there was a reverence and there was an honor and you never really quite heard that with Norman. Yeah, I think when PGA players start the whine and you think, wait a second, they're making millions upon millions of dollars, even the 50th best player in the world. And so it's like, like Sergio Garcia whining is just so like, I'm over that. Get him out of, I don't want well, to see him anymore. How he has time to whine when he has to regrip, 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 regrip. <laughs> and then what, 
Yeah, you just want to slap him when you watch him <laughs> tee off. I yeah. mean, just annoying. You wouldn't stand for that if you were playing someone on a golf tour. I mean, if you're playing afternoon golf, someone started doing that, you'd walk off. Yeah. Well, so anyways, the U.S. Open is being played in the country club. Uh, they just called the country club in Brookline, Massachusetts. And it's really neat to see this old uh, course that they've lengthened give these guys a challenge. Today was probably the best day for them to score because there was little wind. Um, the t- the greens were set up. The holes were placed. It wasn't too hard. I think they're going to toughen up every day from here on in because U.S. Open likes to keep it like maybe at par or maybe five or six under. They don't like it to be like a John Deere classic and everybody shooting 20 under the par. Are you going to watch a lot of this? Well, you know, Father's Day night, you usually watch it if Game 7 isn't being played. You usually watch the final round. I, being a golf historian, I have a question for you. Yeah. Uh, have you ever seen the movie The Greatest Game Ever Played? Yeah, with, uh, yeah. The, Shia LaBeouf. Yeah. Is this not the same course? Yes, it is. Okay. See, I worked in movies uh, and What's the guy's name? PJ or not PJ? Uh, yeah, was... yeah. It was something like that. Yeah. 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 Yeah, they talked about him during the game today. So, anyways, a much better golf movie than that dreadful Will Smith one, <laughs> Bagger Vance. Oh, that's uh, horrendous! One of the worst sports movies of all time. Right. Even the even the the Air Bud movies are better. So, Tin Cup or Happy Gilmore? Oh, Gilmore. Yeah, I think. But so. that's not the best golf movie. Yeah, what's the best you, golf movie? Oh, you know, it's Caddyshack. <laughs> Is that really a golf movie? Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It is to me. <laughs> I think any movie with Rodney Dangerfield is instantly a comedy, not a... Bill Murray? Else. Yeah, that's just... It, like I said, it's a fun movie. It, oh, it's Ted Knight and that? It's of oh. golf, yes. Chevy Ted Chase. Knight. Uh, yeah, there's, uh, Bill Murray's Brian Dole Murray is in that. Yeah. Uh, the guy who uh, I forgot his name. He plays the kid. He's married to a blues singer. People look this up on Google, but it's it's uh, fascinating. The guy who actually wrote the Doug Ca- Kenny died under mysterious circumstances. Ken- walk- Caddyshack is over forty years old. Right. Oh, I'm over sixty, so there you <laughs> go. it's still good. Stay away from Caddyshack too. It's horrible. Horrible. Putt putt. Horrible as 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 Barkley would say. All right, now we're going to get to our last sport item, and then we'll get to your reviews. Um, NBA draft yes. is around the corner. It's almost like they're trying to be like NFL, that they have their season where they try to dominate the news here. Who's going to go number one? Jabari Smith's going to go to uh, Orlando. He's 6'10". He has perfect shooting motion. Defensively, he has a lot to go with, but he's he's going to be the number one. And the... T- player you should avoid at all costs in the first round is oh wow who i avoid uh you know centers are a big problem the Durin guy from memphis which unfortunately he'll probably wind up with the hornets uh chet holgren for gonzaga he's just too thin for me i i worry about him i think um pablo uh blanco is going to be a star i think Jay Nivey is going to be an NBA star. I'm not so sure about Keegan Murray from Iowa. 
Uh, the sharp kid from Kentucky, he didn't even play last year. Uh, Johnny Davis, I worry he can't hit three pointers. But you can he, go he to just, Taco Bell though. Yeah, he can go to Taco Bell, but but he doesn't have a three point shot. That worries me. Jeremy Sokong uh, from Baylor, watch out for him. He is a he's a he's like Green or Rodman. He does all the little dirty stuff in that respect. Um, Obajaji from Kansas kind of concerns me, but that's that's pretty much everybody. And, and EJ Little, I kind of wonder. I saw some holes in his game at Ohio State. Uh, Kennedy Chandler was a point guard at Tennessee. Is under six feet. That would concern me also. I think there's a good ten guys in this draft. I think there's maybe three guys who could be all-stars, not all NBA. I think they could be all-stars. Um, the problem about um, Smith is he reminds me a little bit of, of – he reminds me a little bit of Griffin and a few other guys whose who's leaping kind of leads to the game. Uh, you know, it's – but I think it's a pretty solid draft. I mean, I I watch all of the NBA draft. I actually attended an NBA draft. That's how sick I am about this stuff. Because there's only two rounds, and it goes real fast. Uh, it, now it's become half of them are, are European. Well, the NFL draft surprised everybody with how many trades went on. Can you tell me the last time a really good trade happened in the NBA draft? Yeah, uh, well, not in the NBA draft. In the NBA yesterday, Christian Wood went to Dallas for three players, who's probably a steal because he's a 15, 10, and, and three guy. He averages 15 points, 10 rebounds, and three blocks a game. He's a true center. So, and, But I'm talking uh, like the drama of, during the draft, the draft when you get this trade I, out I of think, nowhere. I think this year you're going to see uh, a trade, but not in the number one. Well, Mitchell Wiggins, when Cleveland traded him for Kevin Love right after the draft. That was that was big. I think you'll see in the lottery, I think you'll see three trades. I think Sacramento's going to trade out. I think the Hornets are going to give up one of theirs. And I hear Indiana wants to uh, trade for a veteran player. So I think you'll see three trades in the lottery itself. All right. You heard it here first. Three trades in the lottery. All right, Ernest, I know during the summertime, this is our culture entertainment section. You do a lot of floating in the pool listening to your Braves, but do you still find time for TV? Oh, by the way, Braves, 14-game winning streak, have the second-best record in the National League. Unfortunately, the team with the best record is the Mets in front of them. But yes, I have watched two movies since we last talked. Ready for review time? I wish I had special segment music nah, for Not the Hollywood. <laughs> I uh, let's first talk about Jurassic Park Dominion, which is two and a half hours long. Probably the best written script of all time. Worthy of Shakespeare. Ooh, you kidding? It's dinosaurs chasing people. <laughs> That's all you want to see. Who cares about a plot? You want to see dinosaurs fight. You want to see dinosaurs chase people. You want to see new species of dinosaurs. You want to see both gangs from all six. Wait movies a second. You saying dinosaurs mating? No, 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 no. Well, they make the you see different species that you haven't seen before. Okay. They create new species, oh. and special effects are still great in that respect. And it, it's great to see, you know, part of the old crew, Laura Dern and all them, 
mix with the new crowd. And again, the plot is overly wrought. It, they cram too much into it, really. It's kind of like they try to put two movies in one. So it's like quick pace. And we start thinking about the plot when you walk out of the theater, you go, nah. But you think, boy, those dinosaurs were cool. <laughs> well, with my grandson, it was all right. I highly enjoy it. Uh, if you want to put your brain on hold and just see dinosaurs. I mean, this is little boys love dinosaurs. It's an innate trait with kids. I have four grandsons and all of them go crazy about dinosaurs. It's just something about males that I think women just look at and shake their heads. I have two grandsons that want to be paleontologists. Isn't that why they have Chris Pratt on there for the women to look at? I might be. It might be. You don't You don't think it's, um, oh, Lord, I just forgot his name. Sam Neill? Uh, no, well, Goldblum. Know, Goldblum and Neil are the same age as Sir Richard Attenborough was <laughs> in the first movie. That is a true fact. Uh, Botox and hair coloring. Here you go. Well, you know, he's Sam Neill's aged pretty well. You, the other has, you can tell, has had some work. But uh, again, it's it's just a nice. It's kind of like the last Spider-Man movie when you see people from movies in the eighties and nineties come back again. It's it's a little nostalgia. I think that's been the thing all this summer. So, like I said, you like dinosaurs? Who doesn't like dinosaurs? Who doesn't like dinosaurs chasing people? Who doesn't like new species? All right, so it, the two and a half hours, for some people, they need a pee break. When is the best time to run out, use the bathroom, come back? Wow, when just humans are on the screen. <laughs> <laughs> if you people see are talking, dinosaurs, you're free to pee. Yeah. If, if humans are talking seriously, just leave right if, away. If they're extrapolating about the plot and about evil businesses doing things. Oh, yeah, always the evil businesses. Yeah, the evil businesses trying to take over the food, yeah, yeah, they take it. You know, If you see no dinosaurs, go pee. Don't, <laughs> don't leave when the dinosaurs are fighting. My other movie is uh, Northman, which is directed by Robert Eggers, who did The Lighthouse and The Witch. And uh, he just can't do a movie in the current time. It is the story, it's the uh, the Viking legend of a myth, which was the basis for Hamlet. Shakespeare knew the story, and he based Hamlet on it. It is a brutal movie. It is as authentic to what Vikings went through as you could. It is bloody, it is gory, it is sexual. It is it's one of those movies that I wish I'd seen on the big screen instead of stream. You know, people talk about we don't go to the theaters more. Can you watch at home? And when I was watching Jurassic Park Dominion, the sounds of the dinosaurs coming behind you in the sound screen and the thumping of the feet. You know, theater experience, Jurassic movies, Jurassic Park World Art or Park should be seen in the theater. The North one should be seen in the theater. But it's a brutal movie. It takes you, if, if what you ask of a movie is to take you into another world, it takes you into another world. Uh, Alexander Stansgard, who you've seen play, and he was Tarzan and a few others, and Anna Taylor-Joy, who's been in all Robert Eggers' movies. Uh, she played, what was it, Netflix, the chess chick? She's the, what is it, the chess series? That was I on know what's your I can't remember it. Chess yeah, chick. Yeah, hey, she's, she's the, the chess, chess chick. chick. She's the chess chick. <laughs> she's in it into, it is brutal, uh, and it has parts of Hamlet. It has part of Star Wars three in it. Uh, it's, it's immersed in another world and it, that's it. It's 
there are scenes, you know, you have what the Vikings have with the berserkers, guys who would just go crazy and raiding villages and kill anything and everything. It is how it didn't get an X rating or NC, whatever is, is beyond me, but, uh, it, in thoroughly enjoyable in that respect. So I highly recommend both movies. Now I'm getting ready for, I guess, Lightyear and the Minions and then Thor. I guess that's next on the tablet. You know, everybody has that that guilty movie that you feel like you have to explain yourself for, that people go like, are you kidding? And I like the Minions movies. I really do. <laughs> have you seen the commercial during the NBA with them? Yeah. Where they're a sports group and they're arguing LeBron or MJ or... or, or who's the uh, GOAT? Yeah, who's the GOAT and, and Kareem and... The dumb uh, one minion brings in an actual goat. You mean there's a dumber it. minion than the others? Wait a second. Yeah, there's the one with one eye is the dumb one. <laughs> like I said, I just, I mean, there are people who just turn their heads up. But I enjoy, I guess it's the influence of my grandson. I, I find them amazing. By the way, if there's a movie coming up on Netflix, can I plug it? Man sure. vs. B with Rowan Atkinson who you might know as Mr. Bean. Yeah. He is 67 years old, and it's a physical comedy of a guy who's a house sitter who is tormented by a bee inside the house. If you <laughs> like slapstick physical comedy, I highly recommend it. Hmm. Anything with Mr. Bean. Just yes, funny. yes, yes. Anything. All right. Well, I haven't watched much lately. I've been pretty busy with other things, but uh, watch when I get a chance, I'm watching the sports and, and I'm watching some baseball too. And um, so I'm glad you give us a review. And then the next time we have a podcast, you do another. So we're to that segment, folks. We need another music. We need theme music, Ernest. We need it for your uh, culture review and then your final couple minutes. So what do you got for your final few words today? An amazing story, one that you might be familiar with. Kohari Willis is the starting strong safety for the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, he's 26 years old, and he has started for the team for the last three years. And he did not come to OTAs last week because he is retiring. He is answering the call. He is walking away from a $250,000 a year contract to enter the ministry. He has prayed and deliberated about it, and he felt like that it is God's will for him to go into uh, school, become a minister, and become a full-time minister and serve. And we talk, you know, this has happened in the NFL, uh, of course. Uh, and who's the gentleman that played for the Cardinals who died? Pat Tillman. Pat Tillman walked away from the NFL because he felt like after 9-11, it was more important for him, and he played safety also, by the way, uh, to defend this country and, and lost his life because of that, fighting in Afghanistan. Uh Kari Willis has decided that it's the Lord's will for him to become a minister. And there have been people who have come out and said, how can you walk away from all this money, acclaim and and credit and everything. But it's interesting that the general manager of the Colts said he is classy. He gave leadership and he'll be missed. But if this is what he wants to do, they support him 100 percent. And it's a rare story. And again, I don't know how many people at the height of one career would decide to walk away. 
and and I hope uh, when he finishes uh, school and he enters the field and he is a practicing minister, that he impacts more lives than the ones who watched him on the football field every Sunday. Mm. That's Are cool. you were you familiar? Yes, you he went to story. Michigan State, by the way. Um, so we're familiar with the story up here. Um, just last year, the center for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers retired after only like six years because he just said it was time. He needed to take care of other things. So I think it's happening more and more. Um, and um, the thing I want, my last few couple minutes are about my lowly Detroit Tigers. Um, there's times they're not where, at last. They're at last place. Well, so there's some times where you got the manager yelling at you, you got the team fans booing at you and then finally this week after they got blown out by i think it was the white Sox, like 13 and nothing they had a players only meeting and i like that it's it's time for the players to take ownership and look around the room and say hey this isn't working uh we're all getting paid a lot of money but this is not going to help any of us the way we're going we got to change it somehow and i really think the big story was that the manager was saying hey we're not hitting home runs. We got to hit for average. We got to move people. Forget about your statistics. We got to win the old style way. And they weren't buying into it. And I think a few of the players on the team said, hey, we're going to buy into it. It's going to help all of us or we're going to all sink together. And I like it when people take ownership, um, when they say, hey, uh, the problem includes me instead of pointing the finger at somebody else. So I'm hoping for better things ahead for the Tigers and I like any uh, group of guys that gets together and takes ownership of responsibility. Uh, I do sound like old man so much right now. There you go. Yeah, but they're not. I mean, like it's not like Minnesota's running away with the division. There, I mean, they're. I mean, that they've lost their key pitcher and Tommy John surgery, right? Yeah, Casey Mize. Yeah, and that's number one pick. Uh, I mean, they're. they're like I said, last time I checked, they're only 11 games back. Sorry, I didn't think it was that bad. Yeah. But again, that's a weak division. Keep you know, Listen, beginning of when the Braves were 10 games out of first, they're four out now. Yeah, uh, maybe did, something good will happen after this meeting. And anyways, uh, I 14-game winning streak yeah, will make you feel I gotta better. I got to get to a baseball game one of these days. I would enjoy it so much. All right, for Ernest Watts, this is Paul Arnold. Pardon the confusion. comes to you courtesy by Red Circle dot com podcast and apple podcasts they help us put out this and you have information you want or you have comments or if you wonder what we really look like maybe you'd never wonder that email me at gobluearnold at gmail.com one one more thing if if your father is alive unlike ours uh please don't forget him give him a call uh no ties no ties you probably owe him money anyway so pay him off okay just (laughs) Tell them you love them. All right. Give your dad a call if he's still there. We're not lucky enough to be able to do that. But if you are, give him a call. Don't give him a tie or a wheat whacker or a fish that sings. Or anything Uh, that says world's best dad. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm a book. Give him a candy bar. That always feels a little better. Ooh. Ice cream. Ice cream. All right. Have a good night.